Okay, so we're um, we're looking at um, the joy that is ours in um, having fellowship with with uh, the Father in heaven, and um, closely associated with this fellowship is, um, of course, the topic of our conversation today, and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. And um, it is His presence in our life that uh, a lot of people get nervous about, a lot of people don't understand, or a lot of people go to the extreme and they get worked up in in some sort of... uh, I'll say it, outlandish, emotional outburst. And that's, that's, not, that's not biblical at all. Uh, God has graciously taken up residence in the life of a believer. In uh, 1 John 2.20 it says, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. And this unction, of course, is the indwelling Holy Ghost, uh, within the within the believer's life, this is something that Jesus had promised his disciples. He said, "I will not leave you alone. I will come again to you." And he, and he has in the presence of uh, God's Spirit. It's because of His Spirit that we can cry out, "Abba, Father." Uh, we have this um, relationship with Him. Second Corinthians. Uh, and the last verse of 2 Corinthians talks about our communion with the Holy Ghost or our fellowship with the Holy Ghost. And it's that which really makes what we have a relationship more so than a religion. Okay? Because we have been made partakers of the divine nature, been born again of the Spirit, we now have a relationship with the Lord. And it's not a religion. It's not a religion. And so what we were considering uh, was uh, Paul's admonition to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.30, where he said, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, the word grieve is a relational word. More specifically, it's a, it's a, a love word. And that you don't grieve someone who doesn't love you. All right? You don't grieve somebody who doesn't love you. You might disappoint them. You might make them angry. But the only person that's truly going to be grieved over you is somebody who loves you. Somebody who loves you. And indeed, the Holy Spirit of God does indeed love us. So, what I left off last week was uh, how can we as believers grieve the Holy Spirit of God? I mean, we're, we're told not to. And so, how is it that we can avoid grieving the Holy Spirit of God in our relationship with the Father and with the Son? We don't want to disrupt our fellowship with God. So, we want to be careful that we do not um, grieve the Spirit. So, I found a... Gosh, I'm so dry. I found, and not, there's probably more, but I found at least ten things that we as believers can wittingly or unwittingly do that would grieve the Spirit of God in our life. And these are things I want to make everyone aware of so that we can avoid these things, right? 
We want to avoid these things. So before I get started, let me go ahead and ask uh, God's blessing. And... Um, and then uh, we'll get into our study. Father, we come to you, Lord, and we are so grateful that uh, we have such an intimate uh, relationship with you, Father, in so much that um, you indwell us by the person of your Spirit, that we are called in the Word of God uh, your temple. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, Peter says that we are made partakers of your divine nature. Uh, There is the sealing of your spirit, there is the baptizing of your spirit, there is the filling of your spirit. Your spirit is there to comfort us and teach us and uh, so many other things, Lord. And we, we are so grateful, Father, for this intimacy that we have with you. Now, Father, as we look into your word... I pray, Lord, that we would um, learn a thing or two about this. And that, Father in heaven, we would be more mindful to always uh, maintain this intimacy with you. And that, Father in heaven, that our relationship with you would just become richer and fuller. Uh, Not to be selfish about it, Lord, but rather to share it with others. We thank you for your... For your Son, Jesus Christ, who made all these things possible. We thank you, Father, for your word that keeps us between the straight and narrow. We ask for your blessing now in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, one of the ways is um, John 14, 17. Make sure I'm on the same page as you are. John 14, 17, it says, Even the Spirit of truth... Whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So the first thing is, is that he is, and this is your blank, he is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of truth. So being the spirit of truth, anything false, anything deceitful, anything hypocritical, in our in us, right? Anything that is contrary to truth will be a source of, of grief to the spirit of truth. Um, this is an issue that we're going to look at more than once as we go through this epistle of First John. It's an it's an it's an issue that John addresses almost immediately in the very first chapter. He says in 1 John 1, 6, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So if, if, if there is any kind of hypocrisy in us, any kind of deceitfulness, any kind of lying going on within us in our lives, this is a grief. This could be a source of grief to the Holy Spirit of God who is the Spirit of truth. When we as children of light... Live and, and behave, and um, you know, just think contrary to the truth. This can be a, this can be a source of grief to the spirit of truth that indwells us. John four twenty three through twenty four says, "But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth." Right. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him 
must worship him in spirit and in truth. One of the things that John is warning the, the believers here in 1 John are these deceivers. These antichrists, these false prophets, these deceivers. Because John knows that these deceivers and their lies will disrupt the fellowship that is ours to have with the Father and with the Son. So any anything that is in our life that is contrary to the truth can be a source of grief. Uh, and this truth is a lot more than just a creed to live by. You know, it's just it's a lot more than a list of of do's and do's, a lot more than just a list of of doctrines or whatever. It's more than the observance of a list of of teachings or, or learnings that we are taught in, in discipleship lessons. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, we have this uh, tendency to uh, look at this uh, as just information or as a means to... Um, you know, climb that next rung in the, in the ecclesiastical ladder of, of personal attainment, and uh, it's it's much more than that. Truth is much more than just knowing stuff about God. It, it just is. First John three eighteen through nineteen. He says, "My little children," he says, "let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth." And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before Him. So. Truth is, 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 is all of what we learn in action. You know? It's not just up here in the head. It's, 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 it's the principle of our life. We do what we do because of what God's Word says. We do what we do because of what God... We, we are who we are because of what God's Word says. It is the primary principle of His life lived in us and through us by the Spirit of Truth that indwells us according to the record of truth that God has preserved for us. So it's not just, you know, a list of things. It's just not 16 lessons. And I think most of you guys understand that. I think most of you guys understand that. 2 John 1.1 says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. Now one of the things that Jesus said was, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So actually it is Jesus Christ living in us and through us. See, that's that's why the Spirit is there. Because the Spirit is also called the Spirit of who? The Spirit of Christ. So when the spirit of truth is alive, I shouldn't say alive and well, when the spirit of truth is active, when you are submitted and yielded to the spirit of truth, you're living, you're living this truth that dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Even David in the Old Testament, I'm so sorry about this guys. Even David in the Old Testament recognized the same truth that God desires of those who know him and worship him. He says in Psalms 51.6, he says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in, in the hidden part thou shalt make me know, to know wisdom. 
You know, Psalms 51, that's a psalm that, that David wrote after his sin with Bathsheba and after he was confronted. But what was David living up to that point before Nathan came in and confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba? He was living a lie, wasn't he? And there's other psalms that I believe relate to David during this period of time where he talks about his bones roaring inside of him and so forth and so on. He knew he was living a lie. And so there was this unrest. Come on guys, you know when you're not right, there's unrest. Could it be we're grieving the spirit of truth? Could it be we're grieving? See, so many of God's people go through the motions. You know, they go, they they really give a good presentation, but on the inside, you know, they know they're not walking in truth with God. They know they're not, and it makes them miserable. It makes me miserable. It makes me miserable. You know, we've been made partakers of the divine nature according to 2 Peter 1.4. And when we as children of light, sons of God, do contrary to his nature that indwells us, Galatians 5.22-25, then we're not walking honestly before God. And um, we're not fooling anybody but ourselves, or maybe our neighbors. But we're not fooling God. We're not fooling God. And so that could be a source of, of grief to him. I don't know about you guys, but on occasion, you know, I'll be dealing with, when my kids were younger, and I'll be dealing with my kids on some issues, and I know what they're all about. I know what they're involved in, and I know they're lying to me. Well, what I really want for them to do is to recognize that of themselves and to come clean, you know? Same, same way with us in our relationship with God. Yeah, he can force us to do right, but wouldn't it be better if we confess our sin and, and get right? So we can grieve the Spirit by living this, this hypocrisy. Uh, another one, 2 Corinthians 4.13. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe, and therefore have I spoken... You also believe and therefore speak. So on your sheet, he is the spirit of, of faith. It's one of the fruits of the spirit, I think. One of the manifestations of the fruit of the spirit in the believer's walk with God is faith, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. So one of the ways uh, which God's people bring pleasure to God is when we believe God's word. Right? Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It pleases the Father when his children believe his word and obey it and do it. I mean, it's, it's true with us, Right? When our kids believe what we say, I can, you know, and they do it. You know, they do it. Now, I'm not talking like the name it and claim it crowd defines this. Okay? Uh, I tell you what, I've read some of their stuff. 
you know, these, these, I'm sorry, I got to be careful. But these people treat God like it, he's, he's their servant. I've even heard some of these big name, name it and claim it preachers say that God is obligated, obligated to do what you want him to do because you speak it in faith. That's baloney, folks. That is pure heresy. That is pure heresy. Now, what we do is we believe the promises that God has given us. That's what the whole book, that's what the whole, uh, chap, what is that, 11th chapter of Hebrews is all about. God gave these folks a promise. They believed the promise. They acted on the promise. Some even died without receiving the promise. There's not a name it and claim it person in that whole list of people. It's this, it's this quality of faith that pleases God, the trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, quality of faith. It's that Hebrews 11.13 type of faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. But having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Did Abraham ever get possession of that land? No, he did not. But he believed, didn't he? He believed. That's the kind of faith that honors God. This is an unwavering faith in, in, in the face of all odds against that faith. 1 John 5, 4 For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now this is not to say that our faith will not be te- tempted or, or tested, I should say. Has anybody had their faith tested? Nobody? Yeah, yeah. I think we all can testify that there's been a time or two that our faith has been tested. First Peter one seven that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Our faith in the in the economy of heaven is a precious, precious commodity. And God doesn't allow things into our life in order to destroy our faith. He allows these things in order to refine our faith. In order for our faith to come forth like pure gold. Like pure gold. Does that mean when it gets gold? Yeah, in heaven. Yeah, in heaven. Yeah. But I don't think here on earth... You know, I think Peter was one, he, he knew what he wrote about, wasn't he? I mean, wasn't Peter's faith tested? Wasn't Peter's faith strained to the breaking point? I would even say that Peter's faith failed him. Peter's faith failed him. In Luke 22, 31-34, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. 
And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. We know what happened. You know, some some folks' faith will pass through hotter fires than yours. And your faith may pass through hotter fires than others. But God knows just how much heat to put. He knows how much heat to put on that faith. And it may fail. It may fail. And we oftentimes, more often than not, probably deserve the rebuke, O ye of little faith. O ye of little faith. You know, when Ron prays, he he prays often. He says, and Lord, help us, our faith. Help our faith. Because we do, we need help. We need help. You know, from a general reading of the, uh, of the Bible, I, I get where the Lord knows this about us. I, I, you know, the Lord knows us. He knows our frame. He knows that our faith is often tested. He knows that our faith is often stretched. He knows, he knows the infirmities of our flesh. He's very aware of that. He knows that we will be stretched and tested. And I don't think that's so much an issue with the Lord. I don't. I don't think that's so much an issue with the Lord. But what I believe may may be a source of grief to him is that when we doubt his love for us, maybe, when we doubt that he cares for us, maybe, when we question maybe his purposes or his wisdom, maybe, right? Maybe when we surrender to hopelessness and despair, that might be a source of grief. You know what one of the most common exhortations from the Lord to us is? Fear not. Fear not. He's always telling us, fear not, trust in me. Trust in me. For I shall never leave thee nor forsake thee. The Apostle Paul despaired, but not in the sense that we might think. In 2 Corinthians 1.8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Verse 9, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver in whom we trust, that he will yet deliver us. So even though he may have despaired of life, Right? He still trusted that God was able to deliver him. And if you stop and think about it, folks, we are all ultimately going to be delivered, aren't we? We're all going to ultimately be delivered. So we've got to be careful not to, to grieve the Spirit by quenching His work in our lives when our faith is tested. 
when those fires of adversity are turned up those are designed for us to turn to him not away from him turn to him and not away from him to trust him and not doubt in his word to believe that he loves us and cares for us and not to despair and to doubt 2 Timothy 4.16 Paul writes at my first answer at my first answer no man stood with me but all men forsook me I pray God that it might not be laid to their charge notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom for whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our hope is in Jesus Christ alone. Not in our pastor. Not in your ABF teacher. Not in mom and dad. Okay? Uh, Not in a buddy or a friend. No. Christ alone is our only hope. Christ alone is our only hope. He's our only assurance in this life. He will never forsake us. So number three. Hebrews 10.29 how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and had done despite unto the spirit of grace so what do you think goes in the blank yeah he's the spirit of grace we owe everything to God's grace the subject of God's grace is a lifetime study. My a very dear friend of mine told me, he said, Brother Jeff, in all your study, learn all you can about God's grace. Learn all you can about God's grace. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, there are a lot of folks who are strong in power. I mean, they present an, an, an impressive persona. We've got folks who are strong in gifts and talents. Uh, they can really, you know, put on a show and they can move us emotionally. There's a lot of folks who are strong in opinion. There's a lot of folks who are strong in service. There's a lot of folks who are strong in a lot of things. But what we really need are folks who are strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's really what we need. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We need to, have, we need to show grace to men as Christ showed grace to us. We need to live lives of grace. When we behave hard or bitter or ungracious or unkind in word or deed, I believe this is a grieving of the Spirit. Grieving of the Spirit. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. When we are 
hard with our words when we're malicious or unforgiving or unloving toward others. When we treat others in a, in a, graceless, a graceless way or speak to others in a graceless way, this is contrary to the nature of the Spirit of grace. It's contrary to the nature of Jesus Christ. And when we do this, I believe it's a source of grief to Him. John chapter 1, verse 15 John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Verse 16, And of his fullness have we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. You know, there's a lot of us that dish out truth without any grace. There's a lot of us that dish out truth without any grace. I mean, really, we're really quick to whack somebody with the truth. But we don't show any grace when we do it. We don't show any grace when we do it. You know, Jesus Christ, when he spoke to people, he spoke the truth. But he did it with grace. He did it with grace. The more grace-like we treat others, I, the more Christ-like we we behave. Yeah, tell them the truth, but tell them the truth in grace. To behave contrary to the spirit of grace, I believe, is a source of grief to him. I had a, I know, I always talk about my good friend Sam Shockley. And I know that most of you in here don't even know who that man was. But that man, to me, personified someone who could speak the truth, but speak it in grace. He was a man of grace. I'm going to say something else. We have a pastor who I believe is a man of grace. He'll tell you the truth. But he is a man of grace. In fact, I've seen him, because he is such a gracious man, I've seen people in this church take advantage of our pastor. Because he is such a man of grace. Because he is such a man of grace. We need to pray for our pastor. We ought to be thankful for our pastor, that we have a pastor who is a man of grace. Because I've served under pastorships that there were no there was no grace. There was no grace. And without grace there's no liberty. There's just no liberty. So we ought to be very, very grateful for the pastor that we have. Uh, number 4 Romans chapter 1 verse 4 make sure I'm still tracking on the same page (coughs) Uh, and declare to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead so what goes in the blank maybe how about holiness Spirit of holiness. He is the spirit of holiness. He is the spirit of holiness. Now we're never going to leave a sin, live a sinless life, folks. Well, maybe I better back up. Anybody in here sinless? Living? I just want to make sure. Okay. We will never live a sinless life. 
Some of us think we do, but we don't. None of us do. As long as we're in these bodies, there's always going to be the well, there's always going to be the proclivity to fall back on our fleshly nature. I mean, I stub my toe and I'm quick in the flesh. <laughs> okay? It happens. It happens. Uh, sin is, a, is an ever-present principle in these lives of ours. But let me tell you something about this principle of sin. It's, it's, its rule has been broken in our lives. It's no longer the tyrant that it once was. Romans 6.6 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You realize that before you were saved, you had no other choice but to serve sin. But now that you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, the Spirit of holiness dwelling within you, you now have that power to say, what was it that Nancy Reagan said? Just say no. Right? Sin no longer has the power over us. We let it. We allow it. Paul goes on to say in Romans 6, 12-14, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. He wouldn't say that. Right? He wouldn't say that if it weren't true. He says, Let not therefore... Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. We let it reign. We allow it. That ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Ah, there's that word grace again. There's that word grace again. Now, will we sin? Yes. Do we have to remain? And that's no. No. This is a wonderful, wonderful truth. Jesus Christ has given us the victory over the tyranny of sin in our life. So when we, as being free in Christ, choose to submit back under the slavery of our sin nature then we are living contrary to the grace of God and the spirit of holiness within us. You see that? And that's how we grieve the spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. We have the spirit of God within us. He's given us that, that, that power, that ability. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, when we um, surrender to our lusts, when we submit ourselves to a persistent, willful life or carnality, this is contrary to the spirit of holiness. Holy Spirit, right? And this is a grief to the spirit that dwells within us. 
Now he understands we're going to mess up. That's why 1 John says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's when we choose to remain there. That's the grief. That's the cause of grief. So far so good? Okay. Number five, Ephesians 1.17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So he is the spirit of wisdom. I mean, he is given to us to teach us. That's what he says here in 1 John 2.27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So he, he's, he's the spirit of wisdom. So, okay. Willful ignorance on our part. Foolishness and shallowness about life on our part will grieve him. Okay? We have the record of truth. And it grieves him when we ignore it. Ephesians 5, 14-16 says... Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Tragically, so many Christians, and you might remember I had him up here the last week, so many Christians walk around through life like they've got a bucket over their head. They just do. The word circumspectly is to behave in accordance with the instruction given in order to walk carefully in a dangerous and hostile environment. And so many of us, we've been given the instructions needed to walk in this hostile environment that we all live in, but for some reason many of us choose to ignore it. And we wonder why we get ourselves in such pickles. I'm sure dealing with life issues people, Pam, you run across that kind of thing all the time. You're lots of buckets. Yeah. You're told this is what God's word says about how to address a certain issue in life, and yet we choose to ignore it. A lot of marriages flounder because of that. A lot of, you know, relationships, jobs, things, finances. Walking about clueless and unaware of spiritual dangers we encounter and the risk we face by ignoring God's clear word on the matter, that's got to be a source of grief to the spirit, the spirit of wisdom. I, one of my phrases I always would say to my kids when they were younger, I said, you know what to do. Do it. You know? Do it. So many 
believers today have adopted a Laodicean mentality. And one of the one of the problems with the Laodicean age is it, it lacks discernment. It's kind of like anything goes nowadays. Anything and and if you present the truth and you point these errors out, it's like you're the one who's wrong for doing so. Yeah, you're intolerant. You're judgmental. You know, God has a lot to say about marriages and careers and friendships and even places of worship and religious instruction. I mean, there's so much here, but it just seems like that. To ignore his word and fail to seek application of it in your daily in your daily life, I believe, is a source of grief to the spirit. Proverbs three five and six says, "Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil." He wants to lead us and guide us. He wants us, you know, to walk down the straight and narrow. He wants us to stay between the lines. And what a grief to him. It must be when his children decide to be obstinate and self-willed and reject his wisdom. That can be a source of grief. Number six, Second uh, Timothy 1.7 For God had not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So he is a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So living lives with no moral conviction, no God-glorifying virtue, no purpose other than the fulfilling of one's lusts and wants, a fruitless life, a disorderly life, that's a, that's a life that's got to be a grief to the Spirit of God that dwells within us. Loveless lives. He's a, you know, that's one of the fruits of the spirit, isn't it? It's number one, love. Loveless, loveless lives where only your needs are important over the needs of others. No willingness to sacrifice for the good of others. No giving away yourself so that others may succeed. That's not Christ-like. That's not Christ-like. Romans 14, 7. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. But sadly, tragically, so many believers think it's all about them. And that's the way they live their life. No man can live happily who regards himself alone. No man can live happily who turns everything to his own advantage. I've I've personally known selfish people. In fact, I've known some of these selfish people up to the point of their deathbed. And without exception, every one of them. 
in the end, regret that selfish life. Every one of them. They realize too late that they have squandered their life on themselves. This is not what Jesus taught, nor this is, is this is not how Jesus lived, is it? Did Jesus live a selfish life? He was the most selfless man you can ever imagine. Jesus taught that we live for God and that we live for others. What is it that Pastor Brian is always saying? Love God and love others. Now, I don't do a very good job of that sometimes. But I know that's the way to go. Selfishness is not living as one wishes to live. It's asking others to live as one wishes to live. You realize that? You're imposing yourself upon others' lives. If you live a selfish, narcissistic life, you're imposing yourself upon other people's lives. You're expecting them to live for you. This type of lifestyle is a grief to the Spirit of Christ that indwells us. Lives controlled by fear. He's not the spirit of fear. Anxiety, confusion, worry. All of these things make make a person unstable. They make a person uh, question God. They make a person wonder if God cares or if God's even on the throne. It's got to be a grief to the spirit. And power. God has given us the power. We just try to do it in our own power. But God has given us the power. It's kind of like, you know, somebody coming up and giving you the keys to a, a, a powerful car. And you tuck the keys in your pocket and, and, and decide to walk to town. Right? Why? Why? Romans chapter 8 and verse 2, number 7. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So he is the spirit of life. Life. Titus 3, 4 through 7. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which he have done, but according to his mercy hath saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that, ye, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We have been given a precious gift. A precious gift. And what must be a source of grief to the spirit of life within us is when we live a life of indifference to spiritual things. When we live a life of lukewarmness in our relationship to God, 
when we live a life that is dull or has no regard for his mission for the souls of others or we live a life taking for granted the new life we now possess satisfied with our fire insurance not realizing that we should be pulling others into the lifeboat as well I believe that when we live such lives like this, this must be a source of grief to him. It must be a source of grief to him. To take this precious life and to take it for granted. Take it for granted. Galatians 6.1, number 8. Brethren, if man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one of the, in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, he shall also be tempted. So he is the spirit of meekness. There's confidence, not conceit. Remember what Jesus said of himself in Matthew chapter 11? Matthew 11, 29 and 30, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said this of himself. He said that he was meek. Now, um, meekness does not mean weakness. Was Jesus Christ a weak man? No, he was not. He definitely was not a weak I don't know if I could undergo the torture he underwent. So he was not a weak man. This is more than an outward expression toward others. This is an inward, meekness is an inward disposition of the heart towards God. Meekness is an inward disposition of the heart towards God. It is a virtue of the heart that exercises itself towards God. And that those who are meek accept God's dealings with them as always meant for their good. And therefore, they are always willing to submit themselves to his care. That's what meekness is. (coughs) Willingness to submit themselves to God, knowing that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. That's tough. That's tough. It's a disposition of the heart that instead of fighting against God, they humble themselves under his mighty hand, willingly subjecting themselves in the face of persecution, insults, and mistreatment to his care. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now I'm going to say some very difficult things. I know of some wives who are in a marriage whose husbands do not love them. And yet they trust God that God will work in their husbands' lives. And so they remain faithful to God. I know of individuals who are suffering certain physical 
infirmities. Possibly never experiencing a cure. But yet they have submitted themselves to the care of God. I know individuals who are on a job being persecuted. But yet they submit themselves under the mighty hand of God. Trusting that God will work in them and through them for His glory. If you remember, um, I told the story of um, the video of the woman in India whose family was brought out of their home and the Hindus were beating on them. They didn't resist. They knocked her son unconscious. They knocked her two daughters down to the ground. But this, this mother stood under the blows. That's meekness. That's something us Americans might have trouble dealing with. Many of us would... Yeah. Yeah. Many of us would pull out our Glock. You know? We would. Meekness is not weakness, but it's closely associated with uh, temperance. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. This This is trusting God to the nth degree. Proverbs 18.17 says, He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. In our day, it is the self-assertive, self-interested, driven individual that is often lauded. The one who beats down all others to gain the top of the pile, that's the one that we consider a hero nowadays. Yet when the Apostle Paul appeals to the church, he appeals to the meekness of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 10.1, he says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in the presence and base among you, being, but being absent and bold towards you. You know, um, that's tough sometimes. That's tough sometimes. You know, we want to get in people's face. Sometimes... Sometimes it's called for us to be meek. To take the blows for Christ's sake. Sometimes it's called for that. Titus 3.2 To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Sometimes it's not required for us to fight back. The garment of the new man, according to Paul, is embroidered with meekness. In Colossians 3.10, he says, And that put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You know, sometimes take the wrong. 
for the unity of the church for peace in the body sometimes God calls upon us to be meek he says here that we are to follow meekness the word follow means to pursue like the hunter for its prey It goes contrary to some of our natures, though, doesn't it? Second, uh, First Timothy 6.11 says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Sometimes we are called to be meek. And to do contrary at those times, I believe, would be grieving the Spirit of God. There are times when we are to be meek. There are times that we zip the lip. Sometimes. Second Corinthians three seventeen. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So he is the spirit of liberty. Liberty. Romans 6.18, I read this, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So when we allow our lust to enslave us, and we allow ourselves to be brought under bondage again, I think that grieves the spirit of liberty, don't you think? Sure it does. When we submit ourselves to a legalistic system, of works or bad doctrine promoted by these false teachers that John is uh, talking about here I think that's also a grief to the spirit especially when you know better especially when you know better in fact John says in 1 John 2.26 these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you you know three times the word seduce is found in your bible Mark 13, 1 John 2, 26, and Revelation 2, 20. And every time this word seduce is used in your Bible, it talks about a false prophet or a false religious system. So we've got to be careful. When you think of seduce, what do you think? Something that's appealing, something that, you know, well, that sounds right. Check it out. We don't. Sometimes we don't. It's a grief to the spirit of liberty for God's people to be seduced by these these false systems. Okay, and then finally, he is a spirit of glory. First Peter four fourteen. If ye be reproached by, for, by, for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And their part of he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. So anything worldly, earthly, or sensual that takes glory to oneself rather than seeks to glorify God in the life of the believer, I believe, is also a source of grief to the Spirit. We hear Brian uh, quote this verse all the time, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. The one who loves God with all of their heart and soul and mind and body and all their strength will desire not to grieve the Holy Spirit 
And then we'll certainly want to glorify God, and then we'll certainly know this joy of fellowship. This joy of fellowship. I bring up these matters to show you that when we get into First John about fellowship, it's 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 relational. It's not rational, it's not cerebral, it's not a religion, it's relational. The Holy Spirit of God is real, folks. He's real. Don't be afraid of that truth. On your work, I don't know if this is on your worksheet or not. Let me check. Yeah. On your worksheet it says, As we shall see in John's epistle, fellowship with the Father involves walking in the light as he in the light. And this walk encompasses, is the word, righteousness and love being active in the life of the believer. This is that rejoicing in the truth that Paul wrote about. And this is why the spirit of truth has sealed us and now abides within us. I can't remember if I gave you a key verse for this epistle, but I think 1 John 2, 5 through 6 is a very good candidate. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we know him, that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. So the last blank on your worksheet would be this. There is joy in walking, even as he walked, that is in truth and love for the Father. So when you're walking and grieving in, in, a, in a way, and if, and if you're grieving the Holy Spirit of God, right? Then you're disrupting your fellowship with the Father. And when you're out of sorts with the Spirit of God, then you're just gonna you're, you're not gonna have that joy because that's one of the fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? Love, joy. So we need need to be aware. Be aware. Okay. I think I muddled through that the best I could. Hopefully you found it profitable.